Thanks for listening to the Aspen Value Project podcast. My name is Peggy Gunter, and I'm the Senior Director of Clinical Practice Quality and Advocacy for the American Society for Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition, or ASPEN. Over the past few years, I have been serving as the staff person for the Value Project. Today, I'll be interviewing Drs. Albert Barocas and Beverly Hernandez about the ASPEN Value Project and the tools for application to clinical practice. Dr. Barocas is an adjunct professor of surgery at Tulane University School of Medicine in New Orleans. He is also serving as the co-chair of the Aspen Value Project, along with Dr. Renee Tyler. We at Aspen really appreciate all the work and leadership these two individuals have provided for this important work. Our other guest is Dr. Beverly Hernandez a dietitian who serves as the Director of Clinical Nutrition Services at Tampa General Hospital. Beverly is also a member of the Value Project Scientific Advisory Council and represented Aspen last December by presenting the Value Project findings at the Institute of Healthcare Improvement National Meeting. Before we get started with our guests, I would like to provide a brief overview of the Value Project. We know that healthcare leaders today are looking for information to guide them on prudent investments in programs and resources that improve the patient experience, reduce hospital-acquired conditions, address length of stay, and decrease readmissions. With that in mind, Aspen expanded its mission from one of promoting utilization of specialty nutrition services to one of clearly articulating the value proposition for nutrition support cost of care continuum. The goals of the Aspen Value Project are to describe the impact of nutrition care, particularly related to specific conditions on healthcare costs and resource utilization. Specifically, we wanted to improve economic evidence to demonstrate the impact that nutrition has on patient outcomes in specific therapeutic areas. Also importantly, we wanted to provide Aspen members and stakeholders more effective messaging and resources to communicate with the key healthcare decision makers, such as administrators, providers, payers, and regulators. And this is what we're going to talk about today. The methodology of the value project, in order to fulfill that, we engage a health policy firm to help us achieve these specific goals. For part one, we wanted to complete a nutrition care outcomes targeted literature review. For part two, we wanted to complete an analysis of cost data using Medicare claims. And for part three, we wanted to develop value messaging for the top five to eight impact conditions. The results were that we found that using the literature in five therapeutic areas and modeling those findings against Medicare claims, a potential of $580 million could be saved using nutrition support in the forms of parenteral, enteral, or oral nutrition supplements. So Dr. Hernandez, now that we have published an overview of the value project in JPEN, what is next in store for the dissemination of our work? Good morning, everyone, and thank you, Peggy, for having me join you on this podcast today. You asked what's next in store for the dissemination of our work. One of the most um, appreciable things about the Value Project is that it offered significant applicability and transferable messaging to multiple specialties through which a more targeted approach can be demonstrated. 
So next we turn focus to publishing, specifically in some of these special areas. Some examples of publications in the works include a cancer patient, paper led by Dr. Jose Pimiento of Muffet Cancer Center, which has been submitted for publication in an oncology journal. This is exciting work that demonstrates that nutrition intervention provides positive clinical and economic outcomes for patients with GI cancers. There's also a hospital-acquired infection paper led by Dr. Matthew Bechtold, which is targeted to go into a hospital administration type journal. In addition, we are currently considering papers on surgical complications and sepsis. And finally, our big initiative is to translate this list to our members. And the Aspen Value Project Playbook is purposefully instrumental in that messaging. Thank you, Beverly. Now, Dr. Barocas, we've demonstrated Medicare savings. Please tell us how this can be used by our members in their own institutions. Well, Peggy and others, I want to begin by acknowledging and thanking not only those of you who've made this podcast possible, but all who have contributed to the Value Project, and in particular, the board of directors of Aspen, who had the foresight to expand the mission of Aspen and support our efforts here. You know, for years, we have tried to educate others on the value of nutrition and have achieved partial success, if you will. In the past, it was based on volume. And subsequently, with the changing in the healthcare financing environment, we're now going to value. And we define value very simply by quality over cost. I think what we have demonstrated in the value project is that there are indeed uh, economic benefits in certain therapeutic areas, certain diseases, where nutrition can provide tremendous savings for Medicare. But what we need to do is to empower our members and others to be able to relate that information at the local level. And I use the acronym WIFM, what's in it for me? Because if you sit on the other side of the table, and I think both Beverly and I have done that, as an administrator, you wanna know what's in it for the institution. It's fine and tremendous that Medicare can save a lot of money, but what does it mean for me? And so it's incumbent upon each one of us to individualize these findings and use it as a template or as an outline of how we can do similar findings in our own institutions. My institution may not have a big problem with cancer patients. We may not even treat very many cancer patients, yet we may have a lot of sepsis, we may have a lot of pancreatitis, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that from the outset, we need to empower our members. And to that end, we have provided a tremendous wealth of templates and guidelines on the website, as well as developing a virtual journal, if you will, of health economic issues as it relates to nutrition, and certainly is a tremendous adjunct to this podcast. And I hope that all those who are listening to the podcast will pull out the tools that we have developed. Now, before I go through the outline of those three uh, steps, I want to make sure that we understand that as we go through this, we are going to be faced with different environments and different individuals. So adaptability becomes a big goal of this journey. We have the ability to have people that are contributing and people that are fully committed to the mission. 
And just briefly as an explanation, I like to use the story of the chicken and the pig. Perhaps many of you have heard it, but basically the chicken and the pig are walking down the street. They see a sign of the diner that is offering ham and eggs breakfast for $1.50. The chicken says, I feel good because I contribute to that. The pig says, for you, it's a contribution. For me, is a commitment. And so I don't want to insult anyone, but what we need as an initial effort here is a bunch of pigs that are committed far beyond their eight to five work, number one. Contributors are a vital part of this. So it's incumbent upon you as an individual to decipher who is a contributor, who is going to be committed to the project. And from that, then you emerge a team. And if you go to your first part one, here's where you begin. You need to have a nutrition value core team. If you don't have that, it may be you as an individual selecting peers that can provide you the support that you're looking for. And you want people that have the most experience and the most knowledge in your institution or elsewhere. And I was going to mention this later, but I think this is a good time to tell you that one of the best kept secrets is that we not only have an Aspen society, what we have is an Aspen family. So we can access the national office for a lot of information, either directly by phone or through the website. And also the over 6,000 members that are in different arenas, that are in different disciplines, that are in different institutions who have had the bumps of going on the road to success to establish a program. So utilize that, but in your own institution, identify individuals who by their own nature are willing to support you, even though they may not have the expertise in nutrition support, but yet they can act as a liaison between you and the administration or between you and the medical staff. And one of those individuals that is emerging, uh, one of those disciplines are the hospitalists who are now pretty much around the clock in the hospital and they can be a tremendous resource for you and can act as a champion, if you will. Now, the next step on part one is to have liaison with influencers, you know, and to that end, I like to profess the concept of transdisciplinarity, meaning that in some institutions, you're not going to find a cadre of 10 dietitians or five pharmacists or what have you, you need to identify what is the function that you need to accomplish your goals. And to that end, then you provide an individual that you feel is the most experienced, albeit not the ideal one perhaps, but the most experienced who can do the job, perhaps do a little bit of research and do so within the constraints of their state license. So they're not gonna be tagged with any kind of negative outcome. Each member of your team or virtual team should have some kind of relationship with at least one or two members of the medical staff. And that's how you begin with the cornerstone of your supporting columns that will eventually be able to then achieve the goals that you're trying to accomplish. When we go to step number three, and again, I'm looking at the Aspen Value Project Playbook Part 1 that you should have in your hands. Here is where the rubber meets the road. Collect institution-specific data for your presentation. It's wonderful that we got over $800 million that we can save for Medicare. 
But I, as an administrator in my hospital, who last year I might have gotten a penalty from Medicare because I had too many readmissions or I had some other measurable outcomes for which I am, quote, penalized, I'm not interested in how much Medicare can save. I'm interested in what can we do at my institution to decrease the negative outcomes, both clinical and financial, as Beverly stated, and how quickly can we implement some changes without tremendous cost outlays. So I think that it's important to remember that each one of us can go into our own institutions and first do an assessment of what happened in the last fiscal year that negatively impacted the outcomes for our own institution. And I think one of the ways to begin is to see how many of our discharges, take all discharges, perhaps not the pediatric group, and find out how often did we identify malnutrition. And you will be surprised because in my own institution when I was there, I'm now retired, we found that less than 1% of our discharges had a diagnosis of malnutrition. And what happens is that although the dietitians may uh, unusually do identify those cases of malnutrition in their notes, it is not transferred to the physician's pages. So if the physician doesn't diagnose malnutrition, on the record, it is not by law picked up by the coders. Where institutions have applied a more focused view of malnutrition diagnosis, they were able to not upcharge, you know, change the DRGs just to upcharge because that's illegal, but they were able to appropriately diagnose and code, and in some instances have saved thousands of millions of dollars a year. Because we know from multiple surveys of the last 40 years that between 30 and 40%, particularly of the elderly that are hospitalized, exhibit some form of malnutrition. So collect the data that's available in your own institution. Once you have that, which can provide some tremendous cost uh, savings and perhaps increase revenue doing it properly, then look at what were the outcomes that negatively impacted your institution over the last fiscal year, whether it was in terms of penalties from Medicare and other insurers, or whether it was from such things as quality scores that are published, such as the LeapFrog group. Then from that, on step number four, develop your presentation. Now, to develop a presentation to the C-suite or to other administrators, I think you need to know who you're speaking with and what it is their knowledge level and change the language and adapt it accordingly. To that end, then you develop a presentation that incorporates not only your findings, but by way of introduction, use the Value Project website with as many infographs, anecdotes, case studies, et cetera, and share that with the members of the C-suite or whoever you're speaking with so they can have that as a reference. Because remember, you're going to be doing a presentation that may be only 15 minutes, and you got to get a lot of information there. you got to get your point across. I think that the C-suite presentation should be scheduled at a convenient time. Of course, it would help ahead of time if you could entice one or two members 
to join you one day uh, as you make your clinical rounds or you, you have your clinical conference, et cetera. And then from that, step number six is to follow up by letting key department leaders and others know what your accomplishments are. Because if no one toots your horn, you have to do it. And so when you come back from Aspen conference or you present it at Aspen or you publish in Nutrition Society or whatever, make sure that that gets incorporated into the weekly or quarterly journal so that you have the nutrition message on the forefront every day. And then if we go to part two, I'm not going to really say much because this has already been covered, but these are the facts. And then you see a sample copy of more or less what should be said or how it should be presented. But emphasize at first that you're trying to begin with very small steps. And if possible, if this is true in your, in your presentation, that it is not going to increase the cash outlay because you have all these committed people in addition to the contributors. And you can use the analogy of the chicken and the pig with your C-suite. A lot of them have heard that previously. Also, we have provided for you on part three, a template. Again, a template is not law. A template is not even a recommendation. It is there for you to fill in the blanks, and we have left some blanks. It is there for you to enhance the other columns. Share with your colleagues in your virtual or actual nutrition support team or team that is helping you and see how it fits, whether you're in a 50-bed hospital or whether you're in a multi-health system. So with those tools and with the armamentarium, then you can actually develop a timeline for gathering the data and analyzing the data and provide constant reports to the C-suite, not necessarily presentations, but perhaps via emails or other types of communication. I will leave you with this thoughts as far as the use of the tools. Number one, one individual can make a difference. Number two, identify who is a committed participant and who is a contributor. Both are valuable, but it can be frustrating when you think that you have a committed individual in your hands and find out three months later that they didn't do what they were supposed to because they couldn't do it during the day, blah, blah, blah. And thirdly, identify and increase your outreach to those in the leadership positions. And you have to do it one by one if that's necessary. Okay, thank you, Dr. Barocas. Dr. Hernandez, you presented these preliminary findings of the Value Project to the Institute of Healthcare Improvement at their meeting last December. What type of questions or feedback did you receive from those attendees who are often quality improvement, patient safety, or outcome specialists? Well, Peggy, as you know, this is a humongous conference, but between breaks, I spoke to whoever sat next to me about our work. They invariably agreed that the impact of nutrition on health outcomes is huge. At my posters session, people mostly took flyers, and I honestly don't recall all those questions. Truthfully, Peggy, since COVID-19, 
I can barely remember anything past that. As you recall, this is back in December. But I do remember the anesthesiologist whose poster was across from mine. She wanted more information on the modeling and information on the actual publication. An attendee from Canada wanted to know how we began the investigation in the first place because she wanted to be able to mimic something like that. In general, people were interested in what we did and how we accomplished it. Okay, thanks so much. That's great. Now, I'd like to ask you both, and this will be our last question. You both are or were hospital administrators. Do you have any other specific tips to help our listeners raise the awareness of the value of nutrition in their institutions? Well, I can go first. I think that um, some of the things that Dr. Baraka said was just absolutely amazing. And I think in addition to that, certainly participation in the Aspen Malnutrition Awareness Week or one of the national malnutrition initiatives, an example of one of those is like the Malnutrition Quality Improvement Initiative that's done in conjunction with Avalia and also with the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. That's just one example. And these help to tell your departmental or your organizational malnutrition story. In addition, I'm sure that we, uh, I think Dr. Barakas also did speak about this. He talked about having champions, and certainly we can look at champions such as those that are in the C-suite, like a, a chief quality officer, a chief medical officer, chief nursing officer, vice president of nursing, a vice president of support services, and those are great if we can get any of them, but I encourage people to begin establishing relationships across the interdisciplinary lines. Uh, some examples of these would be building relationships in the Department of Quality, in pharmacy, in coding, in nursing, IT, IT, IT. In addition to that, advanced practitioners like our PAs and our ARNPs, medical staff, and also marketing. Because when we begin talking or sharing our messages with these individuals, it's amazing the kind of contributions they can make to further increase the value of our communication. And then I'd like to say, if you are already programmatically advanced, identify your greatest opportunities, then the next steps, and what barriers, if any, there are to achieving them. And here's where I find the playbook and customizable checklist most valuable to our members. It offers ideas of next steps and things that you may not have thought of. And it also makes suggestions regarding the type of contacts and resources that you might need. Dr. B, any other thoughts? Yes, I would like to echo everything that Beverly has said. It's outstanding. I like to quote what Frank Covey said many years ago, that in order to be understood, you must first understand. And that's why I emphasize this concept of assessing the needs of the other individuals you're presenting to. And I agree with establishing those relationships with those champions throughout. I think it's very, very important. Again, I think you need to toot your own horn when appropriate and walk what I call the tightrope, balancing competence and perseverance in one hand with humility and flexibility, adaptability on the other. I already spoke about the greatest or one of the 
biggest secrets being the Aspen office and the Aspen membership, because wherever you find yourself, you can always get help from individuals in this society. And I would like to charge our members with the ability to share their experiences, good or bad, so that we can post those experiences on our website, enhance and modify our tools, because that's, again, where the rubber meets the road is at the bedside is in the smaller institutions in, in the various hospitals throughout the country. And again, remember that you're going to need committed and contributing individuals. Lastly, one of the techniques that has been used in the past and may be adaptable to your particular locale is to relate nutrition issues to the individual as they affected them or their family. Talking about, you know, do you recall a time when your grandmother had a problem or your mom or, or you and so on? Are you aware that uh, nutrition plays a, an important role? You know, did you notice that after the surviving the critical illness, it took a long time for them to recuperate? What was their nutritional status? Do you know how to assess that? And just even bringing a small tool, a questionnaire or what have you, to them to have something on hand. He says, go home and, and try this on your family. It personalizes it. Then it becomes a whiff of what's in it for me. Thank you. Okay, thank you both very much for your words of wisdom. I want to reiterate the tools that we have about the Value Project on our webpage. And those can be found at www.nutritioncare.org slash value project. Thank you for joining us today. We would like to thank our audience for listening to this Aspen podcast. And to support what we do, please share, subscribe, and leave a review on our SoundCloud site. Thank you.